0: The sponsor for the month is Free Grace Press. Free Grace Press is firmly committed to the gospel of Jesus Christ and the biblical truths of his word, the inspiration of scripture, the trinity, the deity of Christ, the doctrines of grace, and the importance of the local church as expressed by the historical reform confessions such as as the 1689 London Baptist Confession. To this end, Free Grace Press seeks to publish a wide assortment of Christian literature from both historical and contemporary authors who uphold these core commitments. Our heart is to make available books and tracts we believe will be spiritually inspirational, Doctorally educational and practically helpful for the universal Church of God. The mission of Free Grace Press is to glorify God by assisting others in obtaining a deeper knowledge and greater enjoyment of the Lord Jesus Christ. Visit our website at freegracepress.com and use the coupon code The Shepherd's Crook for 10% off your next purchase. Welcome to the Shepherd's Crook podcast. The Shepherd's Crook exists to provide care, counsel and resources for pastors. You can get more information at the shepherdscrook.co. My name is Jared Sparks and I'm a pastor coming alongside other pastors reminding them of the chief pastor. Sounds good. Welcome to the Shepherd's Crook podcast and it's a great day today to be able to talk to somebody that's been doing a lot of work and been putting a lot of resources out on the internet and writing uh, books and just a lot of material that I've been able to learn from. I'm excited to talk with a new friend, John Harris, today. John, how's it going, man?
1: It's, it's uh, going OK. <laughs> it's uh, a little bit of a dramatic start to my th- Thanksgiving week. But uh, the but Lord is good and faithful. And um, we're just enjoying, actually, abnormally warm weather right now for upstate New York. So okay. uh, I, I probably don't even quite need this jacket, which is pretty cool. So what are we talking abnormally
0: warm at this time of the year is what 50s, oh, yeah. 50s, 60s? Yeah. What, yeah. <laughs> what,
1: what do you got up there? It's, right prob- now? it's probably the mid 50s. Yeah. OK. So, OK. I don't know. For, for people down south, that's like cool. But yeah, for us, um, if you get used to the weather here, yeah, it's usually probably in the 40s during this time of year, at least. So we we got a 15 degree hike, which is nice. Gotcha. Well, we're in Southern Illinois. So like when you think Illinois,
0: you know, where Juan Ramirez was and is in Chicago or whatever, it, we are an hour uh, or five hours south of him. So we're all the way down. Juan bottom part of the state. Yeah. Yeah. Juan Riesco. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, got his name wrong. But all the way down at the bottom of the state of Illinois is where we're at. We're about an hour and a half southeast of St. Louis. And the actual high today is 39 degrees. So it feels more like <laughs> upstate New York here than it does in upstate New York right now. Wow.
1: Wow. Wow. That is uh, you know, it's that global warming stuff, right? Or oh, yeah. change, whatever they're calling it now. <laughs> Which
0: is why I wanted to have you on today. We we're gonna to have a big discussion yeah. on climate change. So
1: <laughs> Oh gosh, I didn't prepare for
0: that. <laughs> uh yeah, man, I really roped you into this one. Um uh, well, I'll
1: we'll go and pray. But and if then... there is climate change, I I'm just saying before we pray, if there is, I'm I'm for it. I just wanna let everyone know. I want it to be warmer, so um, I'm probably the villain in, in that story but uh anyway yeah let's pray <laughs>
0: well at first though before the prayer wasn't there in it, it, I had read somewhere that there was a time far in in the northern part of the country into New England and up into Canada there were actually vineyards up there that it actually at one time was a little warmer up there like at the very first uh, oh, yeah. part of the country when the Puritans arrived that, uh, but, anyways, that's a side note. That's just an interesting side note. Well, let's go ahead well, and pray.
1: Greenland was called Greenland when the Vikings got there because it was so green. I mean, yeah. It, so yeah. Yeah, pretty wild. Uh, there were periods of warming and cooling, but anyway. Yeah, okay. Well, we'll set global uh,
0: change or warming to the side here. Let's go ahead and pray. Father, I just thank you for this time. I thank you for a brother. Uh, and I just ask that you would continue to do a work in him. I trust that you're going to do that. I thank you for this time that we have. Pray you would guide the discussion and uh, that it'd be profitable. It'd be helpful to people. And uh, it would also equip pastors to be able to equip their church members and those that they're going to be maybe talking with this uh, this week and next week around the holidays and going into Christmas time next, next month. So just, uh, I trust this would be helpful. And I thank you for this time that we have. Uh, bless it and lead it. I trust you will. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. All right, hey brother. Uh, first, what you're recording in a car here. What's going on, man? I thought you got this office all settled <laughs> out, and and so what's what's going on?
1: Yeah, well, I was explaining to you a little before uh, we started recording. I had a, a bit of a dramatic situation last night, and um, so I was up pretty late. And uh, I I have a home. It's a two family home, and I have to I have to do some renovation on the upstairs now. I've done a lot on the downstairs, and we need to rent it out, and so. Uh because of some circumstances that happened last night, I needed to go get some security cameras So I've been running around this morning trying to get stuff done and uh you know, I, I wanted to make it back in time to be in the office, but I got to run into Home Depot and grab uh, a security camera. So I thought, you know what? I'll just use their Wi-Fi and uh and, and be in my car and do it. So I hope the quality is okay for everyone. Yeah
0: it'll work it's it's sounding all right so for those that may not know who you are john why don't you go ahead and tell us a little bit about yourself and then your family and then what it is that you do and have been doing
1: yeah uh yeah, that, that could be that's a, a an open-ended question so um i'll try to make it uh as short and succinct as i possibly can i uh, well grew up uh in a pastor's household was saved at a young age and um wasn't really interested in ministry until my late teens, early 20s. And I, I got involved in college ministry at that time and music ministry as well. And I saw what pastors had to go through a lot of controversy on the local church level, which is really the most painful, I think, level when it's friends and and you you know go through splits and just the normal things that um, pastors go through. And I thought, you know, that's not going to be me. But as I got more interested in ministry and just saw how people's lives changed. When the truth of God was um, was treasured deep in their hearts, the Holy Spirit did a work. I, I did. I don't want to be too mystical, but I did sense a, a bit of a calling. So I, I wanted to go to seminary to know the Bible better, and I did that. And while I was there, uh, I noticed uh, a, a quick kind of turn from the biblical approach or at least what i thought was a biblical approach before the election of donald trump to more of a social justice approach and it bothered me quite a bit and through a series of events i uh, decided that after i got out of the seminary i wanted people to know what was happening because it was just getting worse at the time and so i made a video and i let people know this is what's happening at my seminary and this wasn't before i had already talked to several professors at the seminary about it so it is important I mentioned that it wasn't just, I, I didn't try to just blindside them. Yeah. Um, and, and then, even after I made the video, I actually talked to Danny Aiken for about 45 minutes. He was the president of Southeastern, where I had gone. And, uh, and it just became so obvious to me that there's corruption, social justice within people reached out to me from all over the country uh, when I made that video and wanted me to talk about it more. And I realized the problem that I noticed was not unique to my situation, it was going on in the SBC and all over the place. And so I said, I'm going to spend a few weeks doing this. And you know, now it's two and a half years later, I'm still <laughs> focusing on it. And uh, part of the reason for that is I thought that a lot of bigger ministries were going to step up and produce all kinds of materials, uh, apologetic materials on this. And there would be a flood of books immediately uh, denouncing it. And that did not happen. And many of the right. people that I thought would be on the forefront were actually complicit in promoting this dangerous ideology. And so I, I thought, you know, I, I have a bit of a, um, a history background. That's my undergrad, and I have a, another master's degree in history. I will uh, do the research necessary to shine a light on this, and I'll put out some material just to help people out. And so that's what I did, and I released um, Social Justice Goes to Church uh, 2000. I guess, it well, no, it was the end of, I think, 2020 when I uh, released that, okay. and it explains how evangelicalism was infiltrated, uh, as far back as the late 1960s, early 1970s, and also how the current crop of social justice minded pastors are influenced by those who uh, were the pioneers of the movement back then. And then I just released recently Christianity and social justice, which is more of an apologetic book. Uh, it, it goes through the philosophy of social justice and tries to penetrate its, um, core teachings with the truth of God's word and, and just basic logic as well. And so uh, that's been very beneficial for people. That's the one I usually recommend. If you're fighting this battle on the ground level at your church, get that book and you don't have to take my word for it. Cause I have done a lot of research. There's a lot of footnotes and everything's backed up hundred so, um, percent. So the final thing I'll say is if people are interested in that, you can go to um, either Christianity and social or social justice goes to church.com. Both of those URLs will take you to my website, which is worldviewconversation.com. And uh, you can actually purchase the books. This week, I have a special deal running, which is insane. I'll never probably do this again, but you can get uh, Christianity and Social Justice for just 10 bucks. That's so awesome. that's half the price uh, you would usually pay for it. And um, it's. I just wanna get it out there. I want people to be able to combat this.
0: Yeah, that's good. Well, we're appreciative. Our church has been recipients of the the good that's come from your work. And, you know, not everybody has received your work favorably, though. I mean, I know that there was a dust up even in the last week. How has that been? Because you get into this work, there's a wide open door. You're expecting, you know, the people that have really done a lot of, you know, cultural battleground stuff, bringing the scriptures to bear in the world, things, people like Al Mohler in the past and those that would be the big names. So they're kind of lagging behind, not doing this work. You get into this last two and a half years, and man, you have taken some arrows, it looks like, just from the outside looking in. How has that been? Because it sounds like there's been this really warm welcome from a group of people all over the country that have said, yes, this is so obvious that it's madness what's being shoved down our throat. It's unbiblical. It's wrapped in religious language, but it's not biblical Christianity. And the solutions to our problems have always been the same. And uh, I think, John, There's so many people that had been scratching their head for so long thinking like, what am I missing? And I feel like I'm the crazy one. And then when people start to say just normal biblical stuff, they're like, oh, yeah, all right. Yeah, that's uh, he's right. Everybody else is nuts. But there are people that are pretty upset with you. How has that been the negative response uh, in light of all the overwhelming positive stuff? How's the negative stuff? And why has that not stopped you or canceled you? (laughs) <laughs> or made you kind of curve, right. you know, and, and, and kind of uh, blunt the edge a little bit?
1: Uh, well, um, so there's, there's the, uh, roughly speaking, you have your progressive elites who are, they really are the elites that are running the institutions. You could just call them the elites. But then there, are, there is sort of a second tier of conservative elites who are uh, positioning themselves to try to capture supportive people who are against social justice but they don't want to take a very hard stand they will speak in the abstract they might start to name some names like russell moore once it's safe to do so but they weren't pioneers in this and they are afraid to go too far they might not want to say the name Al or or uh, danny aiken or, or something like that it's just it's too risky for them so from i'll say that people on the conservative side of course you know the left just hates you know, those who know about me just hate what I do and call me every name under the sun. And um, I'm a liar. I'm a racist. I'm uh, a sexist. Uh, I got a death threat. Well, at least one time someone was saying they were going to come to me, kill me. And so, you know, those things um, just come up with the territory. And I think because I grew up in a, a home with a pastor as my dad, I kind of was already geared up for uh, controversy. and Like I, I knew a little bit of what it was like and how to handle it. and. Um, I just, you know, does it doesn't get discouraging a little. I, I guess, I mean, I'd be dishonest if I didn't say, I mean, I don't want people calling me that, but I was reminded of what Jesus said, like, you know, blessed are you when people say all manner of evil against you for, for my name. And so I try to think of the court of heaven. And uh, and then I'm also encouraged to so many laymen. There's so many people across the country, regular, ordinary people who are touched by what I've done and it's helped them in their local situations. And I, I've made that the goal. I want to just give people resources in their local churches because the local battles are where it's really at. Yeah. It's not the national stuff. So then um, you have the national the conservative elites. Most of them, I think, I'll just say this privately, they'll reach out to me a lot and uh, try to gain my support. And I have a lot of stories about that, but publicly uh they they don't want to maybe be seen with me and and other people that are in the similar vein like 80 robles it's just too risky for their their image Um, uh, but there are some people and and i do want to say this as a note of encouragement in those circles who i i found very encouraging personally who have yeah. um reached out to me at times Vody bacham is one um john macarthur is one phil johnson i found to be very encouraging to me um uh, to some extent i haven't had maybe as much uh, action lately, but uh, James White, you know, was was uh, somewhat encouraging to me. And and there are there just are people. There's seven thousand who haven't bowed the knee to bail, yeah, and we need to realize even if there's minimal representation in those elite circles, there are faithful pastors all over this country, and they are seeing what's happening, and they don't care anymore either. I think this, their spines are starting to grow. That look, yeah, yeah, we've been through the fire now. We've been through church splits. People have tried to say all kinds of the same things they're saying about John about us that were Christian nationalists and racists and, uh, and neo-Confederates and sexist and misogynists. They, they, I mean, they throw the, the, everything at you and, and we've survived. We're still here. God is still wow. good. We're going to just enjoy the things he's given us. We're not going to bow to this mob. They can be miserable, but we're not going to be miserable. Yeah. And that's Amen. kind of been my choice. It's like, look, you guys, you guys are the most miserable people I've ever met. You're always picking at problems and you're forgetting about the, the, Amazing things, even this Thanksgiving week God's given. And so I focus on the positive things and I just leave it to God, you know, however he wants to platform me or not platform me. And uh so kind of that's where it's at. And I just encourage pastors, think of the court of heaven.
0: Yeah, man, that's so good. About a year and a half ago, the ministry that I've been a part of now, this work shifted from a pastoral care ministry more to a pastoral courage ministry. And one of the things that I've seen is that it has been congregations. It's been lay people that have been holding their pastors accountable. And pastors have been catechized for decades. We have been catechized for decades on simple things that are just so, that have so many monumentally devastating consequences that the Lord's Day gathering is about evangelism uh, and it's for non-believers. That has a massive impact and has been just wreaking havoc for decades. Um, Pastors have been catechized in, Uh, relational capital, you know, we've been sacrificing obedience to God on the altar of public witness. And so it's, please like us, please like us. And so I have, uh, you know, it it is, it's a freeing thing when you get to the point where you're like, hey, listen, if anyone is ashamed of me and my words, I'll be ashamed uh, of him before my father in heaven and the holy angels. And, And Jesus is telling us this, and we don't have an option to be ashamed. So I've seen people that have been encouraged by your work and and just lay people all around that are hearing their pastors say crazy things. And they're saying, this has got to stop, or we're going to go somewhere else and praise God pastors that are going to get in line with, with uh, everything that's going on in the world and put your mask on and love your neighbor, kind of nonsense an unbiblical, love your neighbor. Um, we need let lay people to rise up. We need them to have the tools that, that they're equipped with to be able to hold their pastors accountable. So that's phenomenal.
1: Yeah. Okay, so I'm, and it's happening, by the way, and it is, it is getting up to the institutions as well. They're, they're starting to hear about this groundswell and they're getting nervous about it. And, and that's happened. I mean, right now I just found out, you know, Southern Seminary's latest trustee meeting, uh, I think had some of this and, and there's other people that have told me other institutions and evangelicalism, the same thing's happening at their trustee meetings. The trustees are saying in our local churches, we're having people ask questions. What do we say to them? And so, Uh, you are having an effect you may not think that on your local church level but it is bubbling up yeah amen that's good and you know just sunday
0: i got done preaching and i had somebody come down and we were just having a conversation and he said hey have we stopped funding the nam yet which we had but he's a church member he's just a regular you know member of the church and he's wanting to know as a church if he we've, we've stopped funding we stopped funding the erlc we stopped funding several different i mean i forget exactly who we are actually funding imb i think we're still funding a little bit but uh But yeah, I mean, people are being equipped and I'm glad to hear that that's going on up. Okay, so let's talk SBC for a second. Uh, First, we used to be a part of the Sojourn Network and now it's uh, Harbor Network, uh, conveniently named after Mike Cosper's whole media group. But um, we were in the network and I remember three years ago, we were handed these books by Jarvis Williams. I don't know if you've seen these, but uh, it's how to teach uh, racial reconciliation to kids. These are the most horrific books and most i have them oh my gosh the brood have you looked through them at all yeah um Um, well i have at least one of them i'm
1: not sure so they're two separate books
0: yeah it's the gospel in color and uh i there's uh one for parents and one for kids and so it's like this this training thing to like train your kids okay how to teach your kids about racism i have a pdf and i think i have both of them oh man it's just horrific. And I thought this, if we're getting yeah. this for free at an event, so we bounced out of the soldier network. Um, and, uh, at the beginning of this year, we gave it a little bit of time. We're holding off on the SBC, uh, not for very much longer. Uh, it, it started off as holding off for the, you know, the billions of dollars of institutional, you know, and there's just so much that goes with the SBC. And if you give away the whole Rod Martin argue, argument, but, uh, you know, I'm on the fence and so are our elders about, uh, it's like, we're kind of embarrassed that we're SBC still. Um, why <laughs> give me your best, yeah. give me your best, give me your best pitch. And, and it seems like SBC is crashing. And this is just a real question for me personally. I mean, like, why would like talk me out of, or talk me into leaving the SBC? Like, why should we, why should others consider oh, that?
1: a <laughs> video. Uh, eight reasons you should leave the SBC. And I made a case in that video. I'm not going to remember all eight of them off the top of my head, but um, I'll probably be able to remember a few. I think uh, what fellowship has light with darkness. And so to whatever extent you think the SBC is dark and infiltrated by ungodly men, uh, then you're going to come down perhaps differently. I happen to think that it is thoroughly um, embedded with ungodly men who have probably not christians but the ones who are are certainly compromised on levels that require confrontation uh you know it's it's down to even local um associations like uh, louisiana baptists um you, there was a, an, a i heard about this recently a meeting in i think it was southern louisiana uh new orleans area where um they had gotten together and just they couldn't even condemn Ed Luton. Uh, they said that their uh, lawyers told them that that would be a bad thing to, to have a resolution to condemn Ed Litton. This is on the local level. If you don't even have men at the local level uh, that want to fight, it's a very difficult thing to restore the whole organization. When you look at the entities on the national level, you know, the seminaries, NAM, the IMB, the ERLC, the ERLC we know is totally gone. Right. Uh, as for the seminaries, um, I can tell you pretty confidently they're totally gone. And it's not that the, every professor is here. That you're, people are missing the point when they when they uh, try to move the bar to to make conservatives meet that um, level of uh, proof. You know, oh, you have to prove that we're all communists. No, you don't. Uh, Are you actively actually opposing, though, those in your midst who are preaching those things? Mm -hmm. Are you taking a stand? It'd be like if you're in Mormon country, but you're at a church or a seminary that says we should never talk about Mormonism. We, you know, we'll ignore that it even exists around us. Well, Mm -hmm. that's if you have seminaries in this social justice milieu who are not willing to take stands against it. And then who have professors who actually flirt with it or blatantly uh, preach it like a Jarvis Williams. Then there's there's nothing left there. You, you, you aren't effectively equipping people for ministry. So the seminaries I think are, are pretty much all gone. Um, your best bet might be like a Midwestern as far as the official seminaries. But even there, uh, you have some people who are just flirt with this stuff, like a Jared Wilson. Uh, and then you know you have Nam. Nam is thoroughly corrupt as far as I I can tell at this point. Doesn't mean that every Nam missionary is, but on the top level, Kevin Ezel and his cronies. Uh, are, they they have little to show for the money that they've been given. Uh, They, I think in the last 10 years, they've had what, half the number of church plants. Uh, They have taken in about twice as much of the money. I mean, Randy Adams has gone over all of these numbers. So do you really want to spend money on an organization that's absolutely wasting the money? Uh, You have Lifeway. Lifeway um, is, is corrupt as well. You have the IMB uh the i remember what was it last year they were going to do implicit bias training and then i think tom askell kind of got them to retract that but it was such a weak retraction it wasn't there was no repentance and so i don't see a will to fight the evil that is uh, in afflicting all the churches of our day and if there's no will to fight the blatantly false gospel and blatant I don't see a need to be part of an organization. It's not helpful, it's a waste of the Lord's resources. And mm-hmm. you can probably do a whole lot more with those resources on the local church level or partnering with other organizations who are willing to fight. Yeah. So that's probably my best pitch. And it, people are gonna come down in different places just as a matter of kind of how bad they think the cancer is. I'm, I'm telling you, I've looked at this pretty closely uh, in the last few years, I've spent a lot of time and it's, it's stage four. It's, it's uh, you know, I, I think the SBC is gasping for air at this point dying. And, um, there's, there was a window of opportunity, I think maybe two years ago when conservatives could have really stood up, but they didn't really do that. It was very weak. And now there are some who want to stand up more now, but it's a little too little too late. And I hate to be that dismal about it, but if I were in your shoes, I I would probably leave, but I, I don't judge people who want to try to do the Rod Martin thing. You know, I love Rod. Um, I want to help them understand kind of what's going on in the denomination, but I, I don't have a lot of hope for it aside from the Lord doing a miracle, which yeah. will be evidenced by repentance. Yeah.
0: Well, one of the things that has been helpful for me that you have talked about, Jay Gresham Machin writing theological or uh, the gospel and liberalism or uh, I forget the book that he wrote in the early 1900s Christianity Um, and liberalism and and that's what you've kind of made a play on with your with your new work that we're talking about I have said this regularly this is different religions here this is not intramural theological debates this isn't you're a cessationist or you're a continuationist, or you're postmill and you're amill. This is a redefinition of terms using the exact same terms from the scriptures, but then defining them in different manners, in different ways. And right. I think that's important for people to understand. You know, one of the things that I, I have, uh, the one thing I, in just talking with other people, I'm saying, you know, like John Harris will actually say that David Platt is a false teacher. And that's... I will. Yeah, yeah, and you're one of the only people that I would know that would say David Platt is a false teacher. But then you have reasons. You have reasons for that. Could you just explain again? This is primarily pastors here, and I want them to know the gravity of this. Unless they've had their head buried in the sand for the last year and a half with their ears plugged, and if they're listening to my show, then then they've at least had their ears pulled out a little bit or their fingers pulled out a little bit. Um, Can you just explain why these are different religions altogether, that this is this is not the same thing. This isn't an intramural conversation. And it's different than looking back in history and appreciating people like George Whitfield or uh, R.L. Dabney or people in the past even that had uh, some practices that we would not embrace. We can call them brothers. Sure. We can call them brothers. But what we're experiencing today is radically different even than what we're talking about with George Whitfield. So could you just explain that, hammer that out for us?
1: <laughs> that, that, Yeah, no, I, I certainly can. Um, I Let's start with David Platt, okay? Because you mentioned him, and I think um, he is a more difficult person to label a heretic than say a Jarvis Williams, right? Jarvis Williams is so blatant. Jarvis mm-hmm. Williams has all these quotes where he equivocates works and grace, same with Walter Strickland. And so there's a Galatian heresy type thing going on there. It's easy to say, okay, look, different gospel. Uh, David Platt more, more difficult because to articulate what sounds like a more orthodox gospel so much of the time, where David Platt seems to flirt and syncretize with social justice is he adopts a different category of sin, where he calls things sin that the Lord does not call sin. So he's got an ethical issue there. But then it's not just an ethical issue. It's not like uh, there's, let's say, hypothetically, this for the sake of argument, just so everyone knows, I'm not saying this in detail. Let's, let's say there's, there's 10 things, right? 10 commandments, that the Lord says these are sin and David Platt has 11. He just adds one more thing. It's not really that. It's that David Platt actually fundamentally redefines what sin is. So it's, it's not I'm adding, I'm just adding another thing that I think is sin. It's, it's that I'm actually changing the very DNA of what we think of as sin. So if someone is passively, let's say, benefiting from quote unquote right, white privilege, they are responsible to repent and do the work of anti-racism. If you listen to David Platt's speech from T4G, that's the exact point he's making. And he's saying that if you don't do that, uh, in fact, he is accusing the church of not doing that, then they are just like uh th- those the prophets warned about when israel was syncretizing with other religions it's that level of you know moloch worship kind of stuff that we're doing because we're not acknowledging our white privilege and apologizing for it well if you think that's the case what you're doing is you're taking uh, a definition of sin from the world where sin is not within the heart of man it is external to man it is in systems it's a systemic definition of sin you're you're in sin because you benefit from this external system it's not sin arising from the heart of man it's just having to be in the wrong place at the wrong time with the wrong skin color and and therefore you're guilty well that is totally contrary to christianity and what christians would say sin is and so now you're calling a whole bunch of people guilty for something they're not guilty for and you're saying jesus uh i mean if you import this into the gospel Jesus has to somehow uh, pay for things that really aren't sin. Um, in fact, you could even create a situation where Jesus himself—I mean, did he benefit from male privilege? Did Paul benefit from Roman privilege? Did uh, Moses benefit from you know Jewish privilege? Or you know, you, you're you're actually imposing this definition of sin that we'll it'll look to as our uh, the founders and um, uh, you know people that are Bible characters whom. get our theology from you're just undermining the very foundation of the faith yeah so i would say david platt is a false teacher uh now now let's let's take the example of a george whitfield or an rl dabney let's say where uh they were involved uh in uh slavery to the extent that uh they they had slaves and um they uh from what we know they tried to carry out the biblical uh teachings when it came to slavery that paul commanded uh and by the way i should note this that paul did that in a slave system which in many ways uh many factors were much worse than they were in the american system you had sex slavery was normalized kidnapping was done very commonly on the borders of rome uh you had gladiatorial arenas i mean these things were not the case at least as uh, they weren't as accepted in um the, the American slave system. So you have uh, Dabney who says, hey, the slave trade is an iniquitous traffic. He, he recognizes there's a biblical teaching on this and it prohibits certain things that have developed organically over time, but it's an inherited system. There's no easy way to get rid of this. And while it's here, we need to try to obey the biblical commands that God has laid down of how to operate in a pagan system. Mm -hmm. So what what I see in Dabney and in Whitfield is an attempt to try to apply biblical principles in their day and age. It'd be no different in my mind, uh, at least in principle, to try to think through, okay, we have sweatshop labor going into some of the products we buy, like our phones and our clothes. Uh, We have an immoral welfare system that Christians will sometimes even participate in by being welfare workers. You know, how How can you be salt and light in that when it's such an evil thing? God says, if you don't work, you shouldn't eat. We have taxes that go to Planned Parenthood. Mm -hmm. We, We have so many things. We just don't, we don't think of them as bad because of the way we're conditioned. But there are, there's some evil things going on even today. And the question we always come down to is what does God's word say about this? How do we apply his ethics in the systems that we've inherited? And so it's not that we're in sin because as David Platt would say, we just benefit from some system and the evil is external. We're in sin if our hearts are evil and producing evil things and we're disobeying God's, God's word. And so Dabney and Whitfield, they did not change the definition of sin. They actually follow what God's word says about it. And they didn't adopt a false gospel along, along the way. Uh, And and that's what the modern social justice warriors are doing. They're adopting false categories and imposing them on scripture. So I think there's a fundamental difference between these two things. And, the very fact that social justice warriors want to cancel Jonathan Edwards and George Whitfield is just a testament to how deranged their theology really is, yeah. uh, that they can impose upon the past some um, egalitarian standard that if, if you don't meet it, according to our present understanding of what is right and wrong in our current context, then you, you're you know, off to the chopping block. You don't have the gospel. Well, as soon as you say that, you're importing a new definition of the gospel. So um, if we get rid of Dabney, if we get rid of Whitfield, if we get rid of Edwards, if we just throw them overboard, I mean, we look we can say that we don't agree with certain things or look, uh, we, you know, we may have done things a little differently ethically here or there, we would have uh, applied the Bible differently. I think there's some freedom to say some of those things. But if you just condemn them as they're heretics, they're not Christians, they don't have the gospel then you're also going to have to condemn the apostle Paul. You're also going to have to yeah. condemn Moses and you're yep. going to have to condemn Jesus. Yeah. So that's, I hope that
0: helps. It does. And the insane thing about it is that those who are raging against the sins of the past are generally the ones that are very light on the murder of babies and abortion. The whole abortion industry yes. is far more evil, heinous, vile and dark than any form of slavery. I mean, it's, it's, uh, it's, oh, unimaginable. there's no comparison. There's there is no
1: comparison. There, there's,
0: there is no comparison. And those who are light on that, rage against the sins of the past, selected sins of the past. And it is, uh, it's, it's bizarre. Now the, one of the things that's been frustrating for me, I don't know if it's been frustrating for you is that it would be nice for some of these big names that have been sucked into this. You know, I, I've loved Chandler for years. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm like a, just like, eight or nine years younger than what he is. And I learned from him like crazy, man. It was like mid 2000s. And I was listening to, at the time, I was listening to Rob Bell, Mark Driscoll and Matt Chandler. And then it took me a minute to start realizing, wait, wait a minute, these guys aren't all saying the same thing. And, you know, I'm a dime a dozen guy that listened to a million Chandler sermons and, and all that. And, uh, and I haven't for years now. However, it's been frustrating to see guys like him dig their heels in. And instead of saying, I was duped. There is a clear right and wrong here. Um, I'm sorry. The cross of Christ is enough. We're united in her humanity. We're united in our rebellion against God, and we're we're united in the one way that we can be reconciled to God, and in that reconciliation, we find our our brotherhood, blood-bought brothers and sisters. doesn't matter what color you are. It makes no difference whatsoever, and uh, I've been saddened that people like a Platt or, or somebody like a Chandler hasn't just said, I'm sorry, I'm wrong. I was, uh, I was duped and it, it was wrong of me. And I repent. Instead, it's been, you've misunderstood. It's your fault. I'm not saying that. No, I'm not this. I'm not that. I'm not a Marxist. Why is it that at such an elite level, there is not a humble willingness, none of the big name people that I've ever seen over the last five years has just said, I was wrong, and I'm sorry. Why is it a dig your heels in yeah. uh, culture within elite circles?
1: <laughs> well, um, I don't run in those circles as much as, as others. I've, I've gotten to know uh, some people at, at higher levels, and every institution I've been in where I've known um, powerful people at the institution, I, I will say this, they, they have uh, calculations they do that I um, have not had to navigate in my own life as much where uh, they have to make sure their image is a certain way. There's a lot of politics that are played. Um, and so it, it's, I think there's a fear of man. There's a fear of losing job. There's a fear of lo- losing position. Uh, these are the kinds of things that they contend with and they, they calculate a lot uh, because of that. And, and so if you admit you're wrong on something, Especially as fundamental as like with Matt Chandler. I think I, and I note this in the book. He he does the same thing Jarvis Williams does. He literally calls Christians who uh he deems as not doing their anti-racist work enough, um, as not having a full gospel. The th- this is a, a big problem because you're adding to the gospel, and that's one thing you can't do is add law and grace, and, and that's what he does. So uh So for Chandler, um, he would have to make a big admission, wouldn't he? He'd have Mm -hmm. to say, I actually, I kind of got the gospel wrong here. And, uh, and that would, I I just think that they're arrogant people. I hate to just be that blunt, but a lot of them are so arrogant. And you get to this point where so many people are praising you and looking to you and saying how much you mean to them and um, saying complimentary things all the time. You start to believe your own press when you get to those levels and you get obsessed with your own image and and i'm going to be very transparent with you all listening today i mean my platform is, is not as big as a chandler but uh, and i was never planning on getting into this i'm more of a working class guy my dad you know small church my you know, grandfather is a carpenter we i think you know my dad was like the first guy in the family to go to college so i i um i'm, I'm not you know i'm used to very working class kind of sentiments and to be platforms and so even on YouTube is something that was very unexpected for me. And I felt at times uh, when, when people will say things like even what you said at the beginning, like, hey, what you've done has been so helpful. Uh, you, you start to think, you know, without even knowing it, you, you drift into it's very easy to say, you know, I've I've done so much. You know, I've I, I've been so great. I've been so used by God. And so that's so dangerous when, when you start opening that door. Uh, you have to immediately, and and I do this to say, look, John. Anything I've done, it's the gift of God. God is the one yeah. who has ultimately done this, and there is no credit. I was just God. God happened to use me at the right place, the right time, just like He uses you, Jared, like He uses all the pastors who are listening here. We are vessels. We are not uh, to take a title of, of a John Piper book, which I'm not a big fan of John Piper anymore. But we are not professionals. Mm-hmm. We we are just shepherds, and you know, doing. The work of, of uh, herding sheep—it's kind of a messy job. Right. We're not these, these you know ivory tower types that have uh, professional uh, skills that that need to be platformed in the world or something. Um. And and we just gotta remember that. And I think a lot of the guys that get to the heads of these ministries—they are too big for their britches. They've gone past the local church level. Yep. They are now just you know in this new hierarchy that's emerged because of social media where. We're even above the local pastors. That's kind of how they feel about themselves, I think. So it's pride, man. It, it's just, it, What are the scribes and Pharisees? They love the chief seats. Uh, that's what we're dealing with. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well,
0: that's helpful, man. It really is. And uh, hopefully we see a wave of repentance. You know, hopefully we see God work and through lay people or through, you know, programs just like yours or wherever. And we see. Repentance, and uh, man, I'm hopeful for that. I'm hopeful that as we see societal collapse, the light bulbs go off in people's head and heart, and pastors all across the country are thinking, "Enough's enough. Everybody's insane. We're going to do what God has called us to do, and not apologize for it." Um, and I'm hopeful. I'm hopeful for that. But hey, listen, why don't we wrap this up? I know you got stuff to do, uh, and I want to really set up, uh, set you up to do what you just did. But I want to set you up to praise God for His grace in your life. And the question that I always ask everybody at the end of an interview is, John Harris, why do you love Jesus Christ?
1: <laughs> That's a great question. I love, love him because he saved me. I, um, I, you know, I did grow up in a, a Christian house, but even at a young age, I was disobedient to my parents and there was an evil heart. And even since I've been a Christian, I've certainly uh engaged in sin that uh has scared me even at times. Um I think of in my late teens, early twenties, uh having a period of time where I I was um kind of going outside of the ethics I grew up in. And I um and Jesus was always there. Jesus always uh was gracious to me. He he prevented me. There's so many times I could have done things that I know uh would have really affected my life in negative ways. And Jesus has put barriers there. And so um, taking my sin upon himself, dying for me, putting me in a right relationship with God when I didn't deserve it, and then being gracious even uh, has been uh, just a, a great blessing. He, he's even kept me humble at times uh, by letting me fall to some extent, but then having the grace to pick me up again. And so I would never be able to go through the trials I've been through in my life. If it weren't for Christ being there, because I'd just be depressed. And I think a lot of people in 2020 and 2021 are suffering because of the circumstances that all of us are going through. And, and without Jesus, they don't know what to do. In my area, there's a um, epidemic of suicides right now, among especially white males. And um, I, I think a lot of it just has, it comes down to hopelessness. And I'm, I have hope because um, I know there's a future. I know that I, there's a place in heaven for me. Amen. and um and so he's blessed me uh he's he's just uh you know he's a friend he's always there and i don't know there's there's not much i can do to expand on that it's about as good as it gets but uh but i do
0: love the lord yeah that's good well for all the pastors listening in if you have not been listening to john harris and you've enjoyed this today you need to make sure and check out his work i'll have all the links in the show notes but john is kind of like a uh kind of like a gateway into the Christian red pill movement almost where it's like you get red pilled into the scriptures <laughs> where you can uh, you know really just dive into God's Word and think through you know think critically through what we see in the world today. and it's going to come from a man that loves Jesus and is going to give God the grace or the glory for, for his grace in his life. And so man, I love that testimony. I love that God, what God has done in your life and I'm thankful that you're able to point my listeners back to him. Uh, why don't you go ahead and give those links again, tell us where we can find your work and, uh, and then we'll wrap it up.
1: Oh yeah. The easiest way is worldviewconversation.com. That takes you to everything. If you want to see my latest book, you can just type in the title, Christianity and social justice.com. Uh, I'm on YouTube. Uh, I'm on Facebook. I'm on Gab, uh, a lot of different places and all the links are there on worldviewconversation.com. And if you uh, decide you want to get the book, or you want to give it away as a gift before Christmas, this is the week to do it because um, I, I am putting out some some crazy deals. I that are just they won't be there forever. So um, that's my intention is just to help people in the church, and uh, it's it's not about money, it's not about platforming myself. It's literally just about getting you the resources that will help you combat this movement, which is at full steam right now, and it wants the hearts of the people in your churches.
0: Yep. Very good. Well, guys, we've been talking to John Harris. John, thanks so much for coming on the show, brother. My pleasure. Thank you.